breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Week to week, we take a deep dive into those issues that I think highlight the areas that need reform, not only against political Islam, but the areas in American culture and American society that I think feed into some of the appeasement, some of the inability to confront the areas in the Muslim community. And that thus leads into concepts of collectivism, of collective guilt, and others, and that's today's subject on this episode of Reform This. I hope you're all doing well. I hope you're staying healthy. Uh, we're seeing also a recurrence of some of the, they like to call it a spike. I actually think that the data on COVID-19 is not necessarily being presented appropriately uh, because there's been a steady increase. And yeah, there are some states that are increasing more quickly, and we can talk about that. But the bottom line is, is that please, for the love of God, I hope the concepts of lockdowns are gone. Because, yes, the numbers are going to increase. Yes, we have to get through this through herd immunity. And that might mean more transmission of infection, less uh, suppression, etc. of all the things. Uh, there's no doubt, I think, that uh, in some ways physical distancing and decreasing the risk of transmission does decrease the total numbers. But does it decrease those that are critically ill? Does it decrease those that would end up being admitted. That data hasn't been done, and there's been no data to show that significant lockdowns and restrictions does anything but delay the inevitable. And we are way under the curve for most of the states, but we have a long way to go. And as we go through that, I think there's no doubt that the most vulnerable people and population need to be protected nursing homes, other places in which we've seen a significant majority of those critically ill and dying need to be protected with, I think, most of our resources being spent on that. Surge capacity for beds, etc. is starting to be looked at in states like Arizona, Texas, Florida, and other places. But also the economies are starting to open. Now, some would like to connect the two, and uh, you can make argument both ways. I think you can also connect it to demonstrations over the past two weeks, three weeks. You can connect it to the fact that there's been a steady increase. You can connect the numbers to the fact that there are focuses of severe transmission happening, for example, in Arizona, while most of the hospitals with ICU capacity are in the central Maricopa County. There are significant numbers coming from the American Indian community and reservations that have, for example, in the Navajo Nation, there's been a significant amount of disease spreading uncontrollably with those patients then being transferred down into central Arizona. So the real data is a slow but steady increase, and we don't know exactly what causes and effects are other than the fact that we may have a tough summer ahead. 
But stay tuned here. I'll keep you abreast of not only the my opinions on some of the scientific data that obviously nobody knows for sure. They continue to revisit their information week to week, but also on the social, cultural, and other impacts, economic impacts that I think I have a little bit to weigh in on, not only as a American citizen, but as a physician, as a primary care provider. And for those who've been following me here, you know that many of the con- concepts and ideas that we've had have been shown to be true. What I want to talk to you today about is Joshua Lawson has a piece at The Federalist that I thought was extremely well written about the left's normalization of collective guilt is ripping America apart. The left's normalization of collective guilt is ripping America apart. We've talked about that here. We've talked about that here because, as I've talked to you about, while there's only 4 million Muslims approximately in the United States, they have attacked the rest of America. The Islamist groups, not all Muslims, the Islamist groups that claim to represent Muslims have attacked America in the past as it tried to confront radicalization, confront political Islam by saying that Americans are anti-Muslim. American system, American government is anti-Arab and that what happened in Iraq and Abu Ghraib speaks for all of America. What happened with you fill in the blank that somehow terrorism is not root cause radical militant political Islam of the Khomeinists or of Al-Qaeda and ISIS, the Muslim Brotherhood. No, the root cause is America's force, America's foreign policy, basically from the pages of Al-Qaeda. And now again, we see as America is seizing from demonstrations across the country, you have even neighborhoods, blocks of of American cities being left alone. In Seattle, you have an autonomous zone, a CHAZ, Capitol Autonomous Zone, in which they're being asked for nutrients, for nutrition, because they've locked out all support systems. Large department stores in the area have shut down, and some said they're not coming back ever. There's no doubt that what happened to George Floyd, as I've said on this program before, was a crime, a crime against humanity. And that police officer was charged now with second-degree murder, and hopefully he will get the full brunt of the law, which could be up to 40 years in prison. His colleagues that stood by and watched will also get punished and are charged. And yet, Josh asks, he said, I was nowhere near the intersection of Chicago Avenue and 38th Street when George Floyd tragically lost his life. I wasn't in Minnesota. I was more than 500 miles away. With the exception of the officers at that heartbreaking scene, there are more than 329 million additional Americans who had no part in that terrible evening. So why are so many people acting as if it were their knee, not Derek Chauvin's, that pressed down on George Floyd? 
The answer lies in the concerted effort of radical leftists and their unwitting accomplices to normalize the collectivization of guilt. Now, I'm going to go on to some of the great points that Joshua makes, but make no mistake, this is not just the George Floyd case. Yes, we get it, that there is somewhat of a pattern of abuse whether it's from Ferguson all the way back 30, 40 years ago to Rodney King in L.A. in the 80s. What the police officers did in the back of the van in Baltimore, Maryland with that case. And every few years, every year, every couple years, however many years, we get a case that seems to show that police brutality is a problem that needs to be addressed. And we ask the question, is this video, without the video, would anybody have believed that that's what actually happened? We cannot continue to dismiss the fact that police brutality needs to be addressed. And there are many thoughtful people beginning to Say that, you know what, we need systematic reform. We need systematic, not only reform, systematic protections for civilians, for those that should not be victims of the police simply trying, supposedly, to keep the rule of law. But does that speak for all police? We're seeing an, an unbelievably malignant generalization upon the police forces and any security forces. We're seeing movements now in the New York Times this week with editorials repeatedly about defunding the police, disbanding the police, and even editorial by some insane person that basically said in the New York Times, yes, we literally mean disband the police. My response was, Yes, you are literally insane. As we saw, the police sat by and looters destroyed private businesses, private property, and commit act, committed acts of terror from Scottsdale to Chicago and D.C., New York. That would be the recurring theme without responsible police to respond. And again, this is not to excuse the acts of a few, but does that generalize upon the many that put their lives, that leave their home in the morning, paid the ins relatively insignificant amount that police officers are paid, some of whom do not come home. And many of them die, I think one of the most common scenes in which police officers are shot and killed in the line of duty as calls for domestic violence. And the victims of those domestic violence disputes are most often women. So the Me Too movement, the feminist movement, are saying that right now most calls of violent crimes, domestic violence, are women who would call police officers and we're going to disband police responses or we're going to call family therapists and psychiatrists or psychologists to come in instead. And none of those de-escalations can be done by 
simple therapy. Once the knives and the guns are pulled out, the rage that's happening in some of these homes across the country that the police then enter and try to defuse and save the lives of the rest of the family members and cannot be diffused with anything but a presence of force, but judicious force. Not irrational, not violent, abusive brutality, but judicious. And if anything's happening at any of our homes, the first person, the first thing we are going to reach out to is 911 and the police. Disbanding it doesn't make any sense. But back to Joshua Lawson's piece, this collective guilt As he notes, it's a natural extension of the 1619 Project. That project, as I mentioned it here four or five months ago when the New York Times ran this, it was about the fact that the defining moments of America are the moments in which it became defined by its slavery, by its enslavement to the African-American community. And thus that definition defined America not as exceptional, but as evil. That's the 1619 Project. And that the only way for America to rise from its evil is to accept its foundations of being about slavery, slavery and enslavement to the African American community. Take a look at it if you don't believe me. The 1619 Project is about making all Caucasians and all Westerners feel as if they piloted the slave ships themselves. Its main thesis and heinous lie is that America is irredeemably a vile nation conceived in sin. And now, part of collective guilt is the removal of any Confederate statues and generals that uh, served to lead the Confederacy naming of Air Force bases or military bases, etc. And I get the fact that perhaps you don't want to honor those who succeeded based in slavery. But you also don't want to erase the history. So those statues that are being removed, are they just sort of part of the history as we saw on Capitol Hill? And the question I keep asking... The monuments now that Nancy Pelosi is asking that those statues be removed from the rotunda and elsewhere where so many civil rights icons have been laid to rest in state funerals. They didn't seem to mind at the time that the statues of Confederate generals were there. But we are defined by our history. It is part of what we've evolved and how we become a better, better country, better selves, and we become our better angels. Yes, we need to recognize that with every good individual, there is bad. With our founding fathers, they, they, they brought forth the greatest constitution in history of mankind, but they also were slave owners. Yes, and thankfully, our, our founding fathers then had a generation, 
two, three, four after them that finally in the 1860s had a civil war in which half a million Americans died, if not more, fighting against those that wanted slavery. And ultimately, it became unconstitutional to endorse slavery. And yet it took another hundred years for us to have a civil rights movement in which we began to recognize the sheer equality of all men and women. And so many of the laws that persisted were not just about rejecting slavery, but about the equality of voting, the equality of services, the equality of humanity. And we are still correcting a lot of that. But a society that corrects its margins, that corrects its morality and its ethics, is not one that needs to apologize for its central belief. And this is the debate. Is the debate is the debate about the fact that there are some racists or that we are a majority of racists. And this is what I don't understand is that if America was majority racist, for the love of God, why did not President Obama address that as the theme week to week from the bully pulpit of his White House? Why did we not see demonstrations about not only the police, but every other aspect of society that need to be repaired because of its racism? This is why I think it's for the most part we're seeing a, a, a spread of agitation propaganda. Agitprop, if you will. Agitprop that basically is founded on the belief that we can take a, a, a case, multiple cases, and then begin to generalize those upon the entire society and say that there's a movement that needs to be had, needs to be died for. If you can say it that way, grammatically. But this is this is what the demonstrations are all about. Is that is that it's not just one police officer; it's all of them. It's not just a few; it's all of them. And the Islamists love this. Anything that generalizes on America, and especially the security forces, as being evil, is something the Islamists will eat up, and this is why the red-green axis is fueling the agitprop, the agitation propaganda globally. With Russian propaganda, with Islamist propaganda from Al Jazeera, they're pushing this along with the Soros-fueled propaganda on the left. Let's talk globally. As Joshua Lawson says at the Federalist, it would be ridiculous and unjust to blame a 20-year-old Russian for the heinous atrocities committed by Joseph Stalin more than seven years ago. It would still be unjust to blame a 90-year-old woman who lived in the Soviet Union while Stalin was alive for the millions who died under his tyrannical rule. According to crime statistics by the FBI, the U.S. Department of Justice, 2,925 black Americans were murdered in 18 the details show that 88% of the perpetrators of these homicides were blacks themselves. Yet no logical, honest person would blame all black Americans for these deaths. 
to do so would throw blood onto innocent hands. The radical left, however, has been attempting this sort of collectivization of guilt with renewed vigor ever since the New York Times first published its 1619 Project essays in August 2019. They finish it, they finish their messaging of global, of national gone global collectivization of guilt against America by saying what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis is the fruit born of toxic seeds planted in the shores of our country in Jamestown in 1619 when the first enslaved men and women arrived on this continent. Closing by calling on white America to collectively acknowledge its privilege and take responsibility for its past. There is no hope for forgiveness, no chance for reconciliation, no way to atone. And the lead author, Nicole Hannah Jones, of the essay of 1619, said, Destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. That's what she told CBS News. Will not be the last one to die at the hands of law enforcement. The next time the life is lost to an abuse of police power must be denounced once again and again, and the perpetrator is subjected to our civilized court of trial, deliberation, and justice. But we need to start finally viewing each other as individuals responsible for our actions and our actions alone. Every day we each commit personal acts of vice, virtue, and all shades in between. As individual men and women, we bear the guilt and reap the penalties for our own sins and crimes. This nation isn't just built on freedom and equality. Central to the American experience is the chance for a new life and with it redemption. If we surrender that, we'll be left with far too much anger and hatred and we won't like what follows. Joshua's right. We remember the past so that we can't repeat it. We acknowledge the past so that we know the beauty by which we have come to today. And yes, for any racism that exists, we need to acknowledge it and move on and condemn it and come together as all diverse Americans. But this thing about taking a knee, it's some type of subservience, it's some type of mechanism of forcing forcing a, a not only a sense of collective guilt, but a inferior a, a patronizing inferiority in which the individual has so much guilt for the things their ancestors have done in America, be it Caucasians or anyone who's not black, that thus they must bow, they must kneel. Now they would say that the kneeling is about respect, it's about acknowledgement, it's about equality. It depends how you look at it. When you have a movement like this that's destroying stores, that is using acts of violence that some of it is uh, they will say now they'll say oh we didn't commit the violence we are nonviolent. well why would the author of the 1619 project call these not acts of violence why is antifa so controversial when in fact it has radical leaders that should not be controversial and we need to believe If you look, again, why did this not happen 
Why did we not have a, a, a come to Jesus moment on racism when our when our president, our POTUS, was African American from two thousand eight to two thousand sixteen? We even had the race riots of Ferguson, and that seemed to not have the accentuation and chaos that we're seeing this month. Part of it may be because of the economic stressors that we had post-COVID as companies were shut down forcibly by the government and so many people are on the unemployment lists that it was sort of a perfect storm, if you will. But also I think it has to do with the, the, the deflected gaslighting. It's gaslighting, deflected gaslighting, blaming President Trump that somehow because of the tenor that he uses that he is the source of the problem and thus this is the time to respond because from the president on down, America has a racism problem. That's gaslighting. And I remember I've talked to you about gaslighting, which is the Islamists use it all the time, which is to find some disagreement and begin to scream and shout about it. And that dysfunctionality of shouting and screaming then deflects from everything else deflects from all the other issues that need to be addressed within the family or elsewhere. And gaslighting is something that narcissists, that that uh, folks that want to avoid the primary problem will do. So, what do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. As we tried in this program and so many of the anti-Islamists in the Muslim community tried to say, you know what, it's not just about the 4 million Muslims. It is about a quarter of the world's population that is Muslim, that now has Islamic Republic theocratic tyrannical regimes in Iran, in Pakistan, in, in the Muslim Brotherhood, in Egypt, and Saudi Arabia with its Wahhabis and others. This all needs reform. And the place, the laboratory to do that is here in America. And if you don't address the root causes and you let the gaslighting deflect you and say that, oh, this is America's fault and this is that and, and, and all the other problems that, yeah, we had problems in our foreign policy, but that's not the root cause. Those were contributing factors, but not root cause. The root cause is the lack of an anti-theocratic liberty movement within Islam which was 1,440 years old and still needed to go through the same process that the West went through in the foundations of America. That is what our reform was about. And yet, American Islamist establishment attacked America that if you look at ideology from the radicals of the nation of Islam to Al-Qaeda and ISIS and others, if you look at those people as racist and bigots and anti-American separatists, then you are a bigot. Then you are treating all Muslims the same and you need to be condemned. And many of us Muslims said, hold on a second, stop the collectivization of Americans. They are addressing root causes. And what I don't understand is how the left, especially the left now, wants to Take the exceptions, which are these police officers that are bigots, and make them the rule. And when it comes to Muslims and terrorism, 
They say those were the exceptions and not the rule of ideology. Seems to be the left is more about agitation propaganda and its collectivization try to destroy government, destroy the police, destroy the rule of law, and advance tyranny. Think about that. Think about it the next time you start hearing their propaganda from legacy media on to social media through the light of being gaslit, through the light of collectivization, through the light of exactly what the Islamists do about America around the world and how Abu Ghraib, that prison in which American soldiers dishonored who we were as a country, when they dishonored us, that was not the rule. Most of us who served never saw such kind of criminal activity done by people in uniform. And yet those photos of Abu Ghraib got spread all over the planet through agitation propaganda. Take a kernel of truth of one incident and generalize it on the group so that you can advance a collectivist political agenda. Last, I want to leave you with a couple updates on some uh, not-so-surprising conclusions about the foreign policy in Afghanistan since we've pulled out. The UN, which is, by the way, no pro-liberty, pro-democracy type of organization, issued a report this week that said that Afghanistan's Taliban has maintained close ties with Al-Qaeda, holding at least six high-level meetings with leaders of the group during more than a year of talks with the United States, the Wall Street Journal reports this week. The UN findings point to the difficulty faced by the Taliban in implementing its side of the agreement signed with the U.S. in February. Under the terms, the U.S. will withdraw all of its troops within 14 months in return for the Taliban guarantee that Afghanistan will never again become a haven for terrorists. Zalmay Khalilzad, who I used to think was fantastic, now I have lost a lot of respect for him. U.S. envoy to Afghanistan. And the reason I lost respect is he seems to be doing everything possible to hand over Afghanistan to the Taliban. He said after reports released Monday that we see progress, but they have a lot more to do. This guy is useless. Call a spade a spade. The Taliban's working with, with Al-Qaeda. They're meeting with them. They're hand in hand. The report warned that fully implementing the agreement with the U.S. could cause the Taliban to split between pro- and anti-Al-Qaeda camps. The Taliban share a close relationship with Al-Qaeda based on friendship, a history of shared struggle, ideological sympathy, and intermarriage, the report said. It found the Taliban continue to provide a haven for Al-Qaeda members, estimating the size of its force between 400 and 600 armed operatives in Afghanistan none of which seems to be on its way out. It also noted that there was a risk that the Taliban will continue to find reasons to delay the full implementation of the deal with Washington as the U.S. continues to draw down its presence. As part of the agreement, the Taliban must reduce violence and start talks with the government and other Afghan groups. Prisoner swaps and others have been looked upon as moving towards peace when in fact 
seems to move them towards working together. It infuriates me to know how much blood and treasure and how much life we lost in Afghanistan to end up facilitating an Islamist terror movement and its power in the Taliban. And I'll remind you, it's interesting, this week Senator Ted Cruz appropriately as he looked at statues being torn down, just put a tweet out, said America, American Taliban. And that was a reference to the, remember the Buddhist statues and others that were destroyed when the Taliban took over Afghanistan. And Ilhan Omar did not miss an opportunity to to say how how offended how absurd and tyrannical she felt that tweet was and hateful because these people that they're tearing down brought genocide against the indigenous people she said genocide I don't even want to get into that debate but to say that somehow here this is coming from an individual by the way which I reminded folks on Twitter an individual who I can't seem to find any negative comments about the Taliban from her. An individual who was an apologist for allies of the Taliban from Turkey's Erdogan to the Muslim Brotherhood and Islamists. So are, are we to assume that when she made this comment about Senator Cruz calling the, those who were tearing down statues and violent the American Taliban that that somehow she views the Taliban negatively? There needs to be consistency. She's never called out radical Islamists globally and simply used the opportunity as part of more agitation propaganda. All right, folks. Well, a lot to talk about every week. It's been great to be with you again. Looking forward to next next week's episode as we go through Father's Day. To all you, your families, God bless you all. Stay strong. A lot of issues to talk about here together. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio. And find us at theblaze.com backslash podcast. This is your faithful Reform This correspondent. This is Zudi Jasser. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.